Get your Bibles out and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we'll start in chapter 2, verse 6, which is our key passage. As you know, we've been teaching through a series called Roots, and we're teaching through the, the letter of Colossians. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's interested in these people that he's never actually met, but he's writing a letter to them, and he's concerned about them because they've made a declaration to have faith in Christ, and yet he's worried about them becoming rooted. He's worried about them continuing in their faith. And so he's writing this letter, describing who Jesus is, describing what their faith looks like. And so we're going to talk about that today. Let's pray, and, and then we'll read the passage. Father, as we read the scriptures, let it illuminate our minds. Let it come alive to us. Give us revelation and give us wisdom and grace to be able to implement and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look at Colossians 2, 6, it says, it's our key verse that the whole uh, series is based on. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue, everybody say continue, continue in Him, to live in Him, rooted, everybody say rooted, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The Apostle Paul starts the first half of the letter, and it's very theological. He's talking about the supremacy of Jesus, how Jesus is the best illustration that we have of what God looks like and how he works. And as we look at Jesus then, we begin to ask the question, so what do our lives look like if this is who Jesus really is? And the Apostle Paul leads us through in this letter, and he turns the first two chapters, he, he begins to move into chapter 3, less theology, more practical application. He says, here's how it looks like to set your heart on things above. Here's what it looks like to live a life here in, on the earth and bring heaven to the earth. Here's what that looks like. We talked about that last week, and then today we're jumping in to a brand new passage, and, and we're, going to, um, we're going to read that passage now, verse 18. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh-oh. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. all the children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, everybody say whatever you do. Does that include everything? Does it? Is there anything that that doesn't include? Is there anything, is there any caveat? Whatever you do, except when you're dealing with your spouse. Whatever you do, except when you're dealing with that really crummy boss you work for. Whatever you do, unless you're just kind of hanging out by yourself. No, Paul's saying, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. He's talking to, 
to slaves here, and he's coaching slaves who have accepted Jesus. And so here, here he says, um, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for, it, for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. What he means by that is everybody's going to be judged the same. So you've got, to, you've got to really understand this. And then verse 1 in chapter 4 says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's giving us a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. You ever heard the phrase, opportunity knocks? Do you know opportunity is knocking? You know? We say opportunity knocks because opportunity comes to you and, and some people open the door to opportunity and some people shut the door to opportunity or they're afraid to open the door to opportunity or they're not sure what's on the other side of the door. They're too afraid of the opportunity. I think the, the Apostle Paul is saying that opportunity is knocking for Jesus to be revealed in your life. There's something that happens here when you look at your marriage through the authority and power of Jesus Christ and his work in your life. There's something that begins to happen in your relationships when you have conflict or when you're struggling, there's an opportunity to see Jesus at work in your heart. Now, I, I think the problem for most of us is we don't want these opportunities. We don't want the opportunities of conflict. We don't want the opportunities of difficulty. We don't want the opportunities of the struggle. We just want the, we want, we just want the opportunities that we like. We want the opportunities that will make us feel better. This is a problem because Jesus wants to work as a result of the relationships in your life. So, so Paul, Paul starts this little paragraph with, with marriage. And so wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, so he's not saying that you don't have a voice and that you just have to cater to the whim of the, 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 the slob that you married. <laughs> I know many of you did not marry a slob. But he's, it's not saying that you don't have a voice. In fact, the whole context of marriage in the scripture, as Paul coaches it, if you look at Ephesians, he has this verse 21 in chapter 5. He says, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is definitely a mutual submission within marriage. But here's the thing. I think every team has to have a leader, and God knows that that's a true, a truism for humans. What happens if a group of people don't have a leader? Chaos, anarchy. People, don't, they, 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 there's, a, there's a whole thing that happens here where they don't, they don't, they don't follow, they, they don't work together, it's, it's hard to organize. I, I think all that, all that husbands are is the leader of the family, this family unit. And in fact, the marriage, right, the, the, the marriage is this centerpiece of the family unit. I meet a lot of young couples today that the kids are the center of the family, and they do everything. Husbands, men, 
You need to stand up and you need to lead strongly. If you have a strong woman, she will be stronger if you'll be the man God's called you to be. We need strong women. We need strong women who will help lead. Who will lead the kids? Who will give insight? Every good leader knows that they'd have to they have to ask for the cooperation and the engagement of the whole team. He listens to his team. Bad leaders are hard on their team members. And this scripture Paul is talking about that. He says, "Husbands, don't be harsh. You got to love your wife." It's interesting. If you if you listen to almost any marriage teacher, he'll he or she will tell you that one of the first needs of a husband is to be honored, is to be respected. If you ask men, typically, do you want to be, which would you prefer? You can only choose one. Do you want to be highly respected or do you want to be deeply loved? They'll almost always choose highly respected. It's just the wiring of a man. A woman, one of the, one of the first needs is that feeling of security. That feeling that I am loved, I am deeply loved, and I'm okay with who I am. Somebody loves me. There's something about that. And, 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 and the way we're wired, and, and in, in Christian marriage, right? Christian marriage is defined as a man and a woman in a covenant relationship where we're willing to give what the other person needs and lay our lives down for them. This can create conflict. Wait, you're looking at me like you never had conflict in your marriage? There's a, there's a challenge to this. And listen, let me tell you this. I, when I stand up and I marry a couple, I have made a habit recently of saying, this, we're, we are doing a Christian wedding here. This is not a, a marriage defined by the state. Marriage is not about uh, health care. Marriage is about health care. Marriage is not about tax breaks. That's not how it's defined. You, you can define marriage however you want. The state can define it. The federal government can define it. We can define it all however you want. But what the Bible teaches us is that marriage is about a man and a woman. And I would never begrudge somebody else getting health care or tax breaks. Have at it. But, but, but marriage is something holy and sacred. And so it's between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship. And I, have you ever heard that phrase, um, people will say, um, marriage is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy? Well, I, I, think, I, think, it should, I think it's supposed to make you happy, too. <laughs> so I've changed it a little bit. Marriage not only makes us happy, but it makes us holy. There's a character-building process that is happening in you in the midst of this. And the question is, will you believe that Jesus is Lord? Is Jesus supreme in your life, no matter what happens in your marriage? Will you yield to him and let him shape your character? No matter how difficult your, your husband may be, or how difficult your wife may be, or how much they may resist the work of God in their lives, the question for each one of us is, will we let the opportunity that God wants to take in our hearts, will we let him? My wife and I, we have many um, opportunities for God working out our character. One of them happened uh, yesterday. And, uh, and I wanted to bring a giant P. 
picture of her to use as a sermon illustration. So I wanted to bring, she, there's this wedding picture, and it's a beautiful picture. She's in her gown and everything. Oh, so here you can see, I brought, I brought some other pictures. She, she was okay with this one because it's far away. I don't know what this is. She doesn't like the way she looks in this picture, but, but, but it's not this picture, but the picture I wanted to bring. It's huge. It's like this massive picture in a golden frame, gold like ornate frame with black felt around it with her as a bride standing there smiling with her bouquet. <laughs> she looks beautiful. She looks amazing, but she's like, I don't like how I look at that picture. I don't want you to stand up and show everyone that picture. I said, babe, please, it's, it's for Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, it's, it's for a message. It's for Jesus to do stuff in people's lives. And, and we, we kind of had a little tiff over it. I was like, I can't believe you're not going to let me do this. She's so like, no. <laughs> so as the husband, I could have brought it anyway. Which I did. Bring it on up here. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I would never be that stupid. <laughs> because this scripture tells me I shouldn't be harsh or impose my will, even though I could. There's something, men, if you will love your wife and treasure her, if you will make her the most important person in your life after Jesus, it will be easy for her to give you honor and respect. And since you are the leader, you set the tone. Well, but you don't know my wife. She's such a nag. Well, there may be reasons for that. <laughs> Oh, hate it for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> let's move on. So, the reason for the illustration is, did you put up that other picture? Look at, look at this young couple. Look at, look at that young couple in love. <laughs> look at that hair. <laughs> I'm talking about mine. Mine looks awesome. I was a few LBs shorter, short of what I am now, but, um, but there, we were in love, and what happens is, what, what, what the Bible says is that marriage is a picture of the way God loves his people, the way God loves us with kindness and gentleness, laying down his life through Jesus. So marriage is the center of the family, and it is, now listen to me, the marriage sets the tone for all the other relationships. In a divorce culture, it's really hard to have the right relationships all through the family because the marriages are broken. Now, if you're divorced, I, there, there's no guilt or shame here. You've got to let Jesus do whatever he needs in the, with your past. It's okay. But from here, as God makes you aware as God works in your heart forward today you have to believe that Jesus is big enough to save your marriage to 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 work with you in your marriage and for it this relationship to be the model and the illustration of everything else that's going on for the kids 
and for the extended family members. This was God's plan for marriage. The next part of the verse is, uh, next part of the passage talks about children, how children are supposed to obey their parents. All the kids, give me a hey! All of them looked up from their smartphones. Give me a hey. Okay. All right. So you, when, when the Bible says you should obey your parents, that means you're supposed to do what they tell you to do. Did you know that the, did you know that the, the command to obey your parents and honor them is in the Ten Commandments? The Big Ten. Everybody say Big Ten. It's in the Big Ten. And what, what that means is, is that, it's the first commandment with a promise attached to it. And the promise is, honor your parents and obey them so that you will have a long life on the earth. So that you will live long on the earth. What that means is, if you obey your parents, you stay alive. <laughs> if you don't obey your parents, you, it may be bad for you. you, you, you your, your life may be cut short. Now, I want you to understand that there's something about this that's really important to get. Because the role of parents is to protect their kids. You know that behavior modification, right? I, I said a couple weeks ago, Jesus didn't, buy, didn't die for behavior modification. But when we're young Christians, and just like when we're young kids, it is the job of the parents to modify their kids' behavior. Why? So they don't die. So they live. I remember us having our first baby, and my wife was like, she was, she was the baby of her family. So she's like, I don't know if I can keep it alive. <laughs> you know, it's like a scary thing, this little life in your hands, and you're like, what am I going to do? Well, you, you as a parent, your job is to protect it. Your job is to keep them from running out in the street. Right? Sometimes you've got to do that by restraining them. You have to modify their behavior. But, but, but I think the goal is protection. Some of us want to parent our kids out of fear, and so we're trying to keep everything bad from happening to them. When you, when you, when you parent out of fear, you don't, you don't parent from protection. You're, you're, you're parenting for control, trying to control them. I have five kids. You can't control them. It's not possible. But you can <laughs> not Don't laugh so much, buddy. So, so you can't control them, but you can coach them. You can teach them. You can train them. You can Every parent, get this. They will not do what you tell them. They will do what you do. Your job is to protect them, which means that, there it is. I want you to see this, kids. Yes, I opened an umbrella inside. <laughs> I know your parents have told you over and over again, don't open that up inside. That's only for outside. It's so fun. <laughs> Umbrellas are fun, aren't they? Umbrellas protect you from what? Rain. Umbrellas protect us from rain. They protect us from the elements. If you see parental protection as the, the reason for your authority, then kids, you will listen to them more. If you, if you don't see them, if you see them, teenagers, as them cramping your style, trying to control you, you won't listen to them, and you'll pay for that. You'll pay for it, 
Because your parents are going to keep stuff away from you. They're going to keep you out of the elements. They're going to keep the storm from taking over. They're going to, they're going to keep it out in front of you when things come against you. <laughs> I'm not going to start dancing. So if umbrella protects us from the rain, parents protect us from the pain. Like umbrellas protect us from the rain, parents protect their kids from the pain. Now, you can't protect them from all pain, can you? Because life has to happen to them. And then you have to coach them in the middle of it because they've got to make their own decisions. I know that as you, as you try to protect them from something, and, and kids, as you obey your parents, we think that sometimes that it's our job to turn the kids into adults. But the truth is, when you have kids, it turns the parents into adults. <laughs> when, you, when you get kids in your life, you have to lay your life down in a different way. You're, you begin to, your, your life begins to reshape and reform based around that person. Have you ever noticed that it is a character-building process to take care of someone that only poops and screams and eats? I said poop. There's something here that Paul is trying to say in this passage where he's saying, here's the rules for holy living. I want you to live this way. I want you to think this way. I want you to think about who Jesus is and how he's working in your life because every time you have to get up in the middle of the night and take care of that baby, it's an opportunity for Jesus to work on your heart. I'm showing you how to lay your life down. Every time you have a conflict with that teenager, I'm trying to show you, dad or mom, what my relationship is like with you, if you'll open your eyes, if you'll listen. There's an opportunity. This tension, this conflict, these issues, this struggle, these are opportunities for Jesus to show up and to teach us and to develop our character. And then he finally gets down to slaves and masters, and he's talking about... Um, this slavery, Paul is not blessing slavery. He's not saying that it's okay to have slaves. He's dealing with the world the way it is and putting the word of God into the culture as it exists and coaching slaves who became Christians and he's coaching masters who have slaves. This was, slavery was a worldwide phenomenon at this point and, and they are just part of the culture. And so he's not blessing it, he's coaching them within it. And he's telling them how to act. And so he's saying, he's saying you got to obey in everything what your masters tell you to do. If we were to take it and put it in our context, we would look at our employers, employees or we'd look at our boss. And what it said, the passage says here is you've got to obey them because you're obeying the Lord, not because you're obeying them. Your boss won't see everything you do. You can pilfer. You can steal. You can take stuff. You can resist. You can fall down on the job, and the boss may never know. But what Paul says is, God knows. And the temptation to slack off is a temptation to give in to your human nature rather than to let God shape you in his character. But Pastor Ross, you don't know my boss. He is an idiot. Oh. I hear opportunity knocking. <laughs> you don't know my boss. He's so hard. He's so harsh. It is this opportunity 
where God is going to work in you to turn the other cheek or to carry his coat, to carry his stuff two miles rather than one. This is what Luke 6 says. Luke 6 says, if somebody wants your coat, then give them your cloak also. Relationships are God's opportunity for character development. It's the way he does it. People who live isolated and by themselves, they have a relatively easy time. Now, it's lonely, and it's bad for you. It, make, it can make you selfish. That's why I say to parents, parents who have only children, they have to be really good parents. Oh, a lot of only children in the room? What? You know what I'm saying? Because like you, you have to be such good parents that you teach that only child that they're not the center of attention. So you, so you have to expose them to other kids, and they have to, they have to learn the lessons, and, and you have to be able to help them understand that life isn't fair, and that they have to work through these things. And so what happens here is every one of these relational interactions in our lives are a moment, an opportunity. God begins to work on us, and the question is, will you surrender? Here's what we usually do. Typically, the problem is, we're thinking about our paycheck and not about the Lord watching us work. Masters, you would be like business owners or, or, or people that have employees. You're thinking about the bottom line rather than the people that you're responsible for. What this says is, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and what is fair because you know that you're going to get judged. You're, you have a master in heaven is what it says. And so every one of you that have supervisory roles, every one of you that have a manager's position, guess what? God's holding you responsible. He's working on your character by the way you interact with your employees. But only if you see it that way. Otherwise, you'll just go on looking at the bottom line, working for a paycheck rather than working for treasures or riches that God wants to give you that are beyond the paycheck. This is the, both the power of relationships. One last phrase I want to give you and then we'll close. Relationships are both the method and the measurement for good character. Relationships are both the method and the measurement for good character. God is working within your relationships. Every time you have conflict, Opportunity is knocking. Will you open the door or will you keep it shut? No, I don't want to yield to them. No, I don't want to deal with this. Listen, the body of Christ, we are horrible at dealing with conflict. Because we think that being godly is like being milk toast, mealy mouth people. Milk toast, mealy mouth. Where did that come from? That came from my dad somewhere. Uh, there's, 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 we, we like, oh, we, we have to be full of love. And we see Jesus as this. And we're like, we're, we're just a uh, weenie. And we, no, we got to, instead of resisting conflict, listen, instead of resisting conflict, when it happens, we got we to gotta, we gotta lead towards it. We got we to gotta run towards it. We got to settle the conflict. There's an entire message about the unity of the body of Christ here that we don't have time for. Jesus prayed for it in John 17. In Matthew 5, it, it, it says if you're at the altar and you realize somebody has something against you, leave your gift there and go settle it. What does that mean? You know what that means? That means the priority is the people and not your worship. 
We have to do this well. We have to do this well as a group of people. We can't talk about each other behind our backs. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, yeah, it was so embarrassing. Let me just tell you, everything you say like that gets around. People are awful. They say, now, you can't, you can't tell anybody. As soon as you say that, you know they're going to tell. They're going to tell their wife. They're going to tell their husband. They're going to say, listen, this is not how we should deal with conflict. This is not how we should deal with difficulty. Matthew 18, write it down in your notes. Matthew 18 gives us the order for dealing with conflict. Relationships always create unavoidable conflict. We go to the person who we have the conflict with by ourselves alone. We go, then if we don't, we're not satisfied, we take a second person and we work it together with them. And then if that doesn't happen, then take somebody who's in authority to settle it. That's how it works. By yourself, with another person, and then go to authority. You know what we want to do? We want to go straight to authority. <laughs> People, come, people try to come to me for stuff that happens with, in our church. They're having a problem in their small group. They want to they wanna call me. Pastor, we're having some trouble. Really, have you talked to your small group leader? Well, no, but I couldn't do that. Why not? No, this is the moment for God's character, for your character to be worked on, for him to work in our lives. We have to be committed to this. Don't shrink back from it. Run to it. Opportunity is knocking. Think of a world where you could see every struggle and every conflict as the moment that God's, God began to work in your heart. That his activity is alive and well in you. See, we tend to think, oh, it's the devil's business. The devil's, good. man, he's doing. No, that's, we want to turn it. We want to totally flip it around and whatever the devil's doing, we can break it if we'll deal with conflict in a way that's biblical and healthy and strong. It's God's opportunity for shaping your character. And even if it's unresolvable, guess what? God still gets to work on you. It's a pretty powerful idea. If we could be the kind of people that think that way, we wouldn't resist our bosses. We wouldn't resist the, 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 the employee. We wouldn't, re we wouldn't have a great chasm between our spouse and ourselves. We would embrace what Jesus is doing. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. Father, would you teach us right here, right now? Would you remind us of what you're doing in our lives, even in the midst of our current circumstances, whatever is happening? Whatever's going on at work, whatever's going on in our kids, whatever's going on in our families, would you teach us how to respond to you? How to see you as in charge? How to see you as strong enough, big enough, and Jesus as supreme in his power and his authority that we can surrender to it? Would you teach us what that means? as a community, would you help us? Would you lead us? Lord Jesus, work in our lives. We make a commitment to you today to follow you, to live our lives according to the scripture and to live our lives in a way that honors you and honors one another. In Jesus' name.